In this episode, we interview Luke Freeman, Executive Director of Giving What We Can, an organization on a mission to make giving effectively and significantly a cultural norm. Alrighty, so thanks everyone for tuning into this episode, episode 116, I think we're at. Time flies. So tonight we have Luke Freeman, who is the Executive Director of Giving What We Can. Uh, Luke, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. Thank you. Thank you. I think this is the first interview we've done with somebody across, very far across the pond. So <laughs> um, we appreciate uh, you taking some time, midday for you, night for me. Uh, but this is great. So we, we always start our podcast by asking you, uh, what is the mission in this case of giving what we can? Yeah, so Giving What We Can is a community of effective givers, uh, and we're on a mission to make giving effectively and significantly a cultural norm. So that means that we help donors to find some of the world's most pressing problems and identify charities working to solve them. We're best known for the Giving What We Can pledge, which about 8,000 people have signed, uh, pledging to give about 10% of their uh, lifetime income to the most effective charities. Uh, and together, that's over $300 million already given and $3 billion pledged. Jeez. Jeez. And how do you differentiate given versus pledged? Like, how do you, is that like a forecast uh, out of like average age of yeah, so or something? <laughs> looking, looking at the age uh, and where they live and, uh, you know, median incomes and what their yep. income they put in when they first sign up. Right. And that's how a, that's a cool metric. Yeah. yeah. It's impactful. <laughs> it's cool to, to, to look uh, far out and, and understand what that commitment is. Well, great. So I want to get into the organization, but before we do, why you? <laughs> Why me? Uh, yeah. Well, I, I've been a member of Giving What We Can uh, since about 2016 myself. Um, and it all uh, started for me qu quite a long time ago. I was quite young when I first discovered um, the pretty uh, astonishing and shocking reality of uh, poverty in the world. Um, I remember being pretty, uh, pretty dismayed when I found out that kids my age were starving, sick, and even dying because they didn't have access to the same basic resources that I had. That was not due to anything that I'd done, but I'd just mm. been lucky enough to be born into you know, a stable family in a rich country with you know, a lot more available to me. And I felt that there was just a huge uh, injustice to that. I wanted to do something about it. Um, and I wanted to use that relative luck that I'd been given uh, to make the world a lot better. So at that age, there wasn't uh, too much I could do, but I did start by doing things like, you know, conducting fundraisers uh, in Australia. We have a thing called the 40 hour famine, which was run by world vision, uh, which was you know, part of my early journey to try and put myself out there to improve the world for others. Yeah. I then started giving from my own money when I had a paper run, I had a chicken <laughs> egg business. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, even just things from like, you know, uh, from a young age, my parents encouraged me to think about, you know, uh, getting birthday money and things like that, if you wanted to use that to help others as well. Um, but then I was, you know, finally got to the point where I was earning, you know, meaningful amount of money. Um, first job out of university, uh, had the, you know, global financial crisis, which meant that uh, things were tough financially my, and supporting my uh, now wife, uh, but girlfriend at the time, uh, who didn't have working rights in Australia, got used to living on very little. And so that when I finally got a raise and she got a job, I was like, oh, I'm aware of the yeah, hedonic treadmill that often as your uh, expenses increase, uh, yes. as your income does. Yes. And I was like, I don't like that. I, I don't really <laughs> want to... Do that. 
fall into that trap. That seems terrible. <laughs> and so that's what I, I decided that right then and there is when I wanted to start giving, um, it was basically a big part of the difference between the rates that I was getting and what I was earning, um, and to start building in that habit then. Um, and when you decide to give a decent chunk of money, you suddenly care a lot where that goes. Um, <laughs> yes. and I, I almost went to give it to the, you know, some of the charities that I'd been supporting over the years. Um, but uh, I was like, oh, had a bit of pause. I'm like, is this really mm. the best place I could give it? And that's when I discovered I did what many people do, jump onto Google and start typing things like what are the best charities and you know, how do you evaluate impact? Mm. I discovered uh, two organizations, uh, giving what we can, where I'm now fortunate enough to be the executive director and another organization called GiveWell. Both mm. were pretty early uh, in their days, I think, uh, that was 2011 and, and giving what we can started in 2009 and give well in 2007. Um, and they were just kind of the first organizations really putting information out around like how you might go about doing as much good you can with the limited charitable dollars that you might have. And I could say kind of there's a lot more of a journey there, but the rest is kind of history. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, I have so many questions. So why 10%? Why is that like, um, in, is that an average number or is there data behind that 10%? Yeah. So look, it's uh, pretty unashamedly borrows from cultural norms. Uh, you know, you've got um, within Christian and Jewish traditions, you've got 10% of income. Mm. It's not terribly different to other traditions like in Islam, there's two and a half percent of wealth each year calculated in kind of interesting ways. Um, but basically finding an amount that is a lot more than many people are actually giving, um, but not nearly an amount that's like prohibitively high. So it's mm. trying to kind of find that, you know, that point, which is large enough that it's meaningful, that it can make a real big difference to others but not so large that it's out of reach for many people, especially people in the top half of income earners in rich countries. Um, you know, many people would take a job for, that paid them 10% less if it was incredibly, you know, more meaningful. Um, mm. And so it's a similar. Yeah, you know, that's a good way to think about it. Top. Yeah, yeah, it's a good way to think about it for sure. I've had uh, one member who framed it this way to me once, which I absolutely love, which was, uh, Mondays is always hard for them, even though they love their job. It's just so hard to you know, switch gears from a weekend. Um, so they always think that the first half of every Monday, um, <laughs> that that's the, that they're going into work just for the sake of the world. That's where the money's going to go. And the rest yes. of the week is for themselves. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. Um, how in, in your, uh, experience with others who are probably, not used to giving back and, and maybe haven't donated any money. Uh, maybe they donated time. Um, how do you, and how have you seen that first donation happen? And then how have you seen people have a mindset shift? I don't know if it's instantaneous or over time where they could get to that, um, you know, meaningful number of 10%, for example. Um, I, I feel like it's, 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 it's a new concept to a lot of people of, of giving back, um, a, a good amount of money. Right. So, um, explain to me some of the journeys that maybe you've been a part of. <laughs> yeah. I see it as like exercise. So yeah, yeah. exercise, uh, is one of those things that you, know, you hear all the time. Exercise. I know it should help. Like the, all the research says that it makes you happier and has all these positive effects. Um, and <laughs> we see this with giving too, like all of the psychological research shows that giving makes people happier. It improves their own lives a lot. And you know, we have this good evidence now as well uh, that your money can do a lot of good. Um, 
but it's one of those things that feels too good to be true. Mm -hmm. Like you're really skeptical. Oh, of course, that's what they're going to say. <laughs> um, but then you find, you know, in that moment of kind of conviction of compassion and like a desire to help and to act, it's really quite enabling uh, for people. It's quite empowering for them to be able to actually do something because mm. we often, you know, walk around the world, um, seeing things that we're upset by, uh, seeing things that could be better and really just wishing it were. And there are many things that it's kind of limited times that we're able to act. You know, in our own country, we might get an election once every few years. We only get a chance to, you know, pick a job every now and then that might do a bit, a bit more good. And even then right. our skills don't necessarily align with the things that we care most about as well. Um, but giving is one of these things that is pretty flexible. You can do it anywhere and you can go to anything anywhere in the world and you can do it on a regular basis. And that is, yeah, it is pretty empowering. So when people get that first donation often comes from either something relatively benign, like a friend's running a fundraiser and they, they would do it because they want to support the friend. Um, yeah. or, or it's, uh, you know, they have, you know, start, started to come to terms with something in the world that they, you know, see it wants to be different. They do a lot of research and they find something that is, seems pretty robust. that has a good chance of having a big impact and then they do it. And normally that, like I experienced that, that moment of like putting the credit card information or something, <laughs> you're like, oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. But then once it's done, you're like, I did that That's yeah. the thing that I just did. And then, uh, the, a lot of the real joy comes later is when you're thinking about the problem that you next time you're like, oh yeah, but I'm contributing to that, to solving that. Um, or when you're having a conversation with, um, you know, uh, thinking about like, oh, maybe something you didn't spend money on, um, uh, because you decided that money would be better spent elsewhere. Actually yeah. feeling good about not making a purchase. <laughs> you're like, oh, no, yeah. I, I have a really great reason to not keep up with the Joneses. Yeah. <laughs> I can feel yeah. really good about it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, wow. Well, it, that's great. I, I, this is amazing and I'm excited to get into it. So, um, 2007 is when you said giving what we can started or is 2009? Uh, 2009, 2009. Uh, give Perfect. another organization who is a partner of ours that works in this space, um, gotcha. it was 2007. Um, okay. And then yeah. in, since 2009, at what point since the inception have, did you join the organization and was it immediate as executive director or was it, yeah. um, different roles? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so 2009 started, 2011, I came across it for the first time, started, mm -hmm. you know, just acting on some of the advice, found it useful. I um, started, you know, I was inspired by the fact that other people had, you know, made a public commitment. Um, and I started giving it around that level, but I wasn't quite ready to commit myself. I was like, ah, yeah, I see the value in, in being public about it, but I'm going to bide my time. And then 2016, I was like, no, this is, I've been doing it for a while, something that's, um, you know, as in other people be putting themselves out there has inspired me. So I'm going to you know, also do the same, mm. um, and be willing to you know, add to that number of people and the amount given and, um, have that camaraderie. And so I did so. And then, uh, it was 2020, the organization was looking for, um, you know, someone to lead it who had executive experience, so, you know, background in, uh, growth, which is, I had worked in things like marketing and, and startups for a while. So it kind of the worlds collided, everything came together. And, um, uh, yeah, I was 
an opportunity to lead an organization which I had a lot of, a lot of love for and this mission I care a lot about. All right. Great. That's a cool history. So you, you mentioned the pledge as being one of the, the, the most well-known aspects of the organization. What are mm. some other uh, programming that you do or activities you focus on or kind of parts of the organization that are, that are kind of your organization, your brand? Yeah. So it kind of falls into three buckets. You've kind of got the research, uh, which is uh, helping identify really impactful giving opportunities, but also mm -hmm. things like helping people think through questions of, you know, um, you know how much they should give or, uh, you know, how do they decide between trade-offs in different kind of moral perspectives as to like, do you include animals or future people in your giving and how, how you might you have those trade-offs? So kind of helping people think through both practical research as well as kind of more philosophical research as well. Like how do you think through these decisions? Um, so we've got a lot of resources there, things like cause pages, charity pages, um, our giving recommendations, top charities and things like that. Uh, there's the community side of it, which is things like our, you know, pledge members, our events and things like that as well. Uh, try to, you know, give people things to organize, kind of build that identity in that culture and uh, also just giving information in that more kind of interpersonal one-on-one -on -one basis um, and in group settings. And then the, we have a donation platform as well. So a lot of the uh, opportunities that are pretty high impact that we see that meet our meet our bar, that we work with our trusted evaluators who spend over 50,000 uh, years, 50,000 years, 50,000 hours a year um, yeah. d researching these uh, charitable uh, giving opportunities and other high impact projects. So um, we make many of them available uh, to donors to give to via us, which means that they're able to um, give to multiple different high impact charities and, and funds together at the same time. And if they have done something like taking a giving what we can pledge or a trial pledge, um, they can see how their impact is tracking to the, what they've committed to do as well. Mm. Wow. High impact. How is that defined? <laughs> as as yeah. I interrupt you, as you drink your tea, sorry about that. <laughs> uh, thank you for... <laughs> yes. Sorry. <laughs> um, high impact. So, you know, often we're thinking about the effects of what we're giving to. So anything you give to, ideally, you're, you're aiming for some effect in the world. If you're supporting a program uh, that is focused on education, you're wanting to improve educational outcomes or educational attainment or even better, you're often thinking, well, what does that actually mean for lives? Does that mean that they have, you know, that they're happier or they have more economic opportunities and things mm. like that? So often you're trying to think about what are these really, um, you know, very, what are the ultimate things that you're aiming towards? And like at its most, you know, simple, it is uh, often just your know, improved well-being. Um, so whether it's through health or education, economic opportunity, like better environment that people are in, but there are often proxy measures along the way. So you might look at, in the case of climate change, you might be wanting to think about CO2 reduction or something like yeah, that. In yeah. the case of um, health, there are pretty standard measures, actually. A lot of this started off by uh, the field of eco health economics and looking at things like disability-adjusted life years or quality-adjusted life years, or is even uh, a new one, a well-being-adjusted life year, which looks at uh, subjective well-being scores. So how do people rate themselves before and uh, you know, how good their life is before or after mm. an intervention? So what you, when you're thinking about impact, you're trying to think, well, how do we get as much of whatever that impact measure um, 
and really not just that measure because you got the you know bias whenever you measure something you could you know be not exactly measuring what you're really after so you want to look at a synthesis of you know different things you're aiming for which is ultimately aimed at improving lives and does your organization yet like dive deep into the data of all these other nonprofits that they're providing, or do you do your own research separate from the data that a nonprofit would be providing? Yeah, so there's quite an ecosystem here. Yeah. <laughs> so um, you've got organizations like uh, you know um, JPAL and ID Insight uh, doing things in the fields of things uh, like global poverty and health and economic interventions. So they do a lot of on the ground research. Mm-hmm. A lot of charities and, and nonprofits and uh, do a lot of their own like internal evaluation and monitoring work as well. So you're able to see you know, how many people does this program reach? What are the health yeah. outcomes? You also got things like scientific evidence as well. So you can see, well, okay, we know that lead has like so much, so much evidence is like terrible for human uh, flourishing. You know, it, it has very uh, significant effects for people's ability to learn and to function in the world. And there's also other health uh, effects as well. So, if you care about health, education, or anything like that, you don't want lead in the environment. You can kind of quantify that. You yep. go, well, what, how might you get rid of that? Well, go to where, where are places in the world where lead is still quite prevalent and uh, you know that they're bringing policies and monitoring the impact of those policies could reduce the amount of impact uh, uh, lead in the, the environment there. You've got something like um, distributing insecti- insecticide-treated bed nets, um, mm. so more kind of... Uh, uh, product delivery, service delivery type um, intervention, uh, you know that they have, you know, costs $5 or approximately to distribute a bed net, um, like the full cost of like getting it there, making it and everything. Um, and that, you know, for every thousand or so bed nets, there is one death averted of a child mm. under the age of five. Um, yeah. So you know that the, you know, after taking a lot of um, conservative assumptions to you know, make sure that you're thinking about the counterfactual, what would have happened otherwise, you say, look, it's about $5,000 to save a life, um, which is, you know, sounds like a lot of money to some people, sounds like barely anything to others, depending on who you ask. <laughs> but yeah, um, yeah. in places like Australia and the US, we're often willing to spend about a million dollars um, per um, per life uh, saved through our health systems, and that, when you compare five thousand to that, that's would that, I am so curious about that number as well. Um, but uh, before I forget, another question: the organizations that you work with <clears throat> are they all different sizes, from small, medium, large, uh, or is there kind of a, a more medium and large organizations that you're working with? Yeah, so they vary of all sizes, and there's like different approaches to seeking out impact as well. So as I mentioned in another organization earlier, GiveWell, they do a lot of the kind of hard data analysis for organizations doing direct delivery um, in uh, working particularly in things like global poverty and uh, global development. So they'll build models of, you know, uh, you, know you put this you know, amount of this intervention here, where, where does the next funding need, like what's the next tranche of funding going to go towards and trying to think about what is that next dollar going to get you. And mm. generally they're looking at highly scalable interventions. So that might be, you know, let's get an entire country or region within a country where it's blanketed in bed nets and try and wipe out malaria, relatively uh, speaking, ideally in that region. And that's going to cost, you know, tens or hundreds of millions of dollars. 
Um, and we've got to fundraise across a large number of people to do that. And there are reasons which we can go into later why, like it, that there are you know, uh, failures in government and international aid and everything, why those funding gaps still exist uh, today. Yeah. Then you've got, you know, on the complete other end of the spectrum, you might have something like uh, charity entrepreneurship, which we work with, where they do in-house research, um, looking both at pretty, you know, concrete interventions, like the lead policy stuff that I was talking about earlier, as well as, you know, uh, more meta work or theoretical stuff um, and go, okay, well, what are these gaps that currently exist? And can we start new organizations, you know, given the first... You know, $50,000 or something like that is much, much less than, you know, tens or hundreds of millions to start trying to see if this intervention that mm. seems pretty promising is impactful. Yep. Um, and so the organization sizes do vary quite a lot and everything from small grants, you could have like an individual researcher who has uh, a novel idea for how to reduce uh, the you know, spread of viruses or something like that. Um, you go, well, here's the scale of the problem. You know, how many people are affected by how much and you go, how tractable is this, you know, how likely is it that this research would result in the outcome that is expected and yep. how neglected is it? So like, are there a lot of people doing this kind of research? Has this been tried a bunch and keeps failing or is this just something pretty novel, pretty innovative? It has a good chance of success. Yeah. That's, I don't know why, but that reminded me of, of an interview I saw with Elon Musk where he was, he was putting a math equation on where he should invest his time in, um, in terms of how big of an impact can a car company have um, on the world versus XYZ. And it's just his mathematical equation for entrepreneurs on, on ideation and, and creating new business ideas. That's, it's really cool. I, I love the data behind, behind this conversation. <laughs> so, um, we've interviewed I don't know, 100 plus nonprofits over the past couple, like two and a half years. Um, and, and I'd say the majority of them are small and medium sized, anywhere from one to 15 people total. Um, we've interviewed some that are larger than that, but I'd say the vast majority are, are in that smaller and medium range. Um, and, and they, they're not measuring because a lot of times they're just bootstrapping their organization. They're just an executive director and maybe a small team. Um, that's just fundraising from friends. Um, but, but having pretty big impact because they're usually ingrained in the communities that they're serving. Um, and they're providing a lot of times basic needs for youth, for, um, individuals who've been formerly incarcerated, trying to get back on their feet. Um, so the impact is pretty I'd say a micro scale in terms of geography, but it, in terms of the dollar of the million dollars per life, uh, you could argue that it's a pretty big impact in that sense. Um, how, how would you, or what would you say to these smaller and medium sized nonprofits that are just hyper, hyper localized deep in the communities, not necessarily seeking to solve world hunger, but maybe more so seeking to heal their communities in, in some, you know, minor way at a global scale, but major way locally. Yeah. I'd say that, um, look, I'm always thrilled that people are working hard to improve the lives of others. Like that is where it all starts for me is that if people are seeking to look outside of themselves and improve the lives of others, that is what we need a lot more of in the world. I'm also in a small, medium-sized organization yeah, too. Yeah. There's you know, staff of a similar, similar kind of fall right in the middle of that headcount wise. And yeah. um, we find evaluating our programs, you know, 
just so helpful for deciding how to spend the limited resources that we have. Um, yep. So it's a feedback me mechanism. So if you're working in a community, um, you know, do you know who you're serving, what, which programs are serving them best? Um, are you collecting that data? Are you getting that feedback, qualitative and quantitative? Um, because, yeah, and especially important is to get the feedback from those who it's affecting. Um, yep. So, and this can be done at a small scale or at a large scale, like, you know, in the example of some of, um, you know, the programs I mentioned from GiveWell, they're looking at you know, adjusting different health outcomes across a large population and, and involving those people is going, okay, well, would you rather this or would you rather that? Like how much would this improve your life? If you only had yeah. this much to spend, how would you spend it? Um, uh, but that can be done at you know, a small scale as well, getting the feedback from people in, in your community. Um, but data can be incredibly enlightening, um, just seeing, you know, what actually is the ground truth. Um, and it's a really good way of debiasing yourself as well. Um, obviously d data itself can be, you know, you've got lies, damn lies and statistics. You can, you can say, <laughs> say, yeah, you can mislead with data as well, and you can over-focus on the wrong things. And I've seen this happen a lot. People focus on a, you know, proximate outcome as if it is the end goal of what you're focusing on. Um, that being said, it's, it's very transparent. It's a good way to involve your stakeholders as well. Uh, they know that the support that they're giving you is resulting in the things that they care about and that you care yeah. about. Wow. So you've talked about the history. You've talked about what are some of the, the three, the three buckets that you mentioned of focus that your organization has today. What, what do you hope in another five, 10, 15, hundred years for the organization giving what we can? Yeah. For me, it, it keeps coming back to the core mission and, and that, that cultural piece. Like, I think that a lot flows on from that and we haven't cracked it yet. <laughs> we haven't yet found <laughs> the mimetic, um, you know, golden egg, uh, but figuring out and working towards trying to change the culture around giving that it's not something that is quiet and hidden, hidden away and an uncomfortable topic, uh, that is seen as a waste of money that isn't bettering, uh, your life or the life of your immediate loved ones around you. But it's seen as something that is expected of people, especially yeah. those who have the most, it's seen as something that is cherished by the people who do it. It's seen as something that is, um, inspiring that you, people around you who are giving are like open about it and talking about it and trying to do better and aware that we're, you know, all in this together, it's a journey. We don't have all the right answers yet, but it's worth trying. It's worth trying to improve our giving as we go along. It's worth asking more from those who we're giving money to, to ensure that money is ha handled well, it is going to good use. Um, and that people are giving not just their money, but their time and their expertise and their political and social capital and all, all of the types of things that we can give to ensure that causes that are really important to the world, that those who are most disenfranchised, um, uh, you know, given what they need, um, and that we're all taking part and doing what we can. Yeah. Wow. So, uh, engagement people that are listening and are inspired by what you're doing and what your organization is doing, and maybe even want to make the pledge, how could they get engaged? What type of engagement do you look for? Yeah. Like we're talking about before getting to that first donation is often the biggest thing. And one thing I'd encourage is, as I mentioned before, we have the giving what we can website. We have 
information and resources there. Um, I encourage you to have a look around at some of the high impact organizations that we've identified um, and just see the work that they're doing. See like, oh, wow, this is something you probably haven't even considered. Um, a lot of people, their conception of charity uh, is, you know, rather narrow just because it's the stuff that we see around us and the stuff we hear about a lot. But you're like, oh, wow, research to prevent pandemics or, oh, changing policy so there isn't as much lead in, in, in like this country that I wasn't really aware of. It's like <laughs> the world is big and yeah, there is amazing yeah. work going on. And some of it is just really neglected and, um, and can be incredibly impactful and learning more about those organizations, what, how they work, what they do. Um, and, you know, coming up with a little menu of the things that you want to start supporting. I think getting to that first, doing it once, maybe doing it on a regular basis. Um, and then, yeah, that dipping your toe in the water, I think is, is just an excellent way to start. Wow. 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 What uh, was one thing that I, our founder, one of our founders was on uh, the Armchair Expert podcast and uh, <laughs> one of the hosts, uh, he was going to buy a motor motorcycle in uh, Dax and he decided, look, I'm not going to buy it. I'm going to give that away instead. Um, and then the other host, uh, she said she was going to, had her eye on a designer dress, I think it was, and she's going to not buy that and instead give some money away. And yeah, I think that's another way of starting is going, look, think of something you were going to do uh, for yourself that you were kind of like thought it was a bit of a guilty pleasure yeah, and yeah. maybe substitute that for giving uh, to someone else, uh, giving that away and reflect, see how, see how that feels. Uh, do you feel better? Wow. No, that's great. That's great. So listeners do that. Uh, look, research more about giving what you can about the pledge, about what it means. Um, and, and this is great. So other than that, is there anything that you want to leave us with maybe that we didn't cover um, or, or any tidbits that you've been thinking about or want truth bombs sometimes they say? <laughs> yeah. yeah I, the other thing I would just say is like, I'm really appreciative of the you know, many thousands of people uh, who've made a pretty significant change to their life to include others as a pretty core focus. Um, the members and donors that I get to interact with are giving what we can are just some of the most incredible, genuine, compassionate people. Um, and also the thing is the evaluation partners we work with, the organizations in this space, it is just really fantastic to see uh, so people so cons so focused on seeing change and being like so obsessive about a better world that they're willing to like no doubt about it. <laughs> and, and they're the people who I want to say like, thank you because the work that they do enables us, uh, to share these great high impact opportunities with donors and members and, and to see the impact of that work, um, is just such a fantastic, uh, thing to come into work every day. Even when things get hard on other fronts, uh, that keeps me going. Oh, well, Luke, really appreciate your time these past 30 minutes. Um, and, and, Mad kudos to you for the work that you've been doing with the small team, the the impact that you're sharing, that you've had, um, driving more people to give back, um, whether it's their time, talent, treasure, testimony, whatever they can, um, and kind of being that little push, <laughs> I'd say, um, for people that, that want to give back but don't really know where to start. So, Luke, really appreciate your time, and uh, we're really honored to share this work and this story with the rest of the world. Yeah, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Thank you.
Thanks for tuning into this episode. If you know of a great organization or individual leaving a positive impact, we'd love to tell their story. Check us out and contact us at gtzp.org. Don't forget, for more stories like this, you could also follow us on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube. Instagram followers are link trees in the bio. And for podcast listeners, we are on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Thanks for listening and see you again soon.